Good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. Smiling faces, even if I can't see your teeth, I know their eyes are smiling, and so it's a joy to, to be with you. I think we're still streaming, are we not? No. So I'm not going to say good morning to that thing back there. Um, thank you very much. It's good to be seen by you this morning. <laughs> Um, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take one piece of scripture and we're going to press it upon each of our hearts through application. It's a passage that is a full text, a full psalm, and yet it uh, only has 11 verses, so we'll spend a little bit of time in each of the parts or each of the stanzas. And what I'm asking God to do is not to just give you a, an outline of a psalm so that you can take it home, so that you can reread with that kind of structure. That might be helpful and profitable, and I hope if it does that you'll do that and you'll profit by it. But I've been praying for, and I'm going to preach towards the end, that we'll actually hear God's voice in a certain context. Now this certain context is the title of the message, and it's titled, In Times of Trouble. And so, what I'm asking you to do is think now about times of trouble. We'll call it a turbulent pocket. There's these places that we are moving towards, that we're already in, or we're exiting and moving out of. That takes all of you into account. These times of trouble are out there and in here and around here. And so we're all going to be facing them. We are facing them or leaving them and getting ready for another one. And I know that because in John 16, Jesus said, Take heart. Take heart. In this world, you're going to have many troubles. But I have overcome the world. And so I already know that you're involved in one or will be involved in one or leaving one. And so I want you to be thinking about that particular one or, or cluster of ones as you listen to Psalm 46 preach. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me or open up your device and click to. I'm getting used to that. I've never said that before from the pulpit, but... Um, a lot of people have it on their phones and everything else. And so you go to Psalm 46. And this is a psalm that Martin Luther absolutely loved. You might hear a mighty fortress is our God in Psalm 46. And the reason why you hear a mighty fortress is our God in Psalm 46 is because that's what inspired him to pen his ubiquitous hymn. It's everywhere you go. You, you'll hear it, you see it, and many of us um, enjoy it much. And um, he spent a lot of time in Psalm 46. The, uh, the hymn was written right around 1529 um, or so. It was about 10 years after or so. He tacked the 95 theses that, that unleashed the Reformation that caused him to start running for his life 
and life was not easy after that and, and he found much solace and safety and sucker, if you will, in Psalm 46. In fact, he uh, had a buddy whose name was Philip um, Melanchthon and he, when days were very difficult, he would say, oh, Philip, Philip, let us go to Psalm 46 and sing. He was a great theologian and a good expositor of the scriptures. But he penned a lot of hymns and he always said, I love to sing. Theology is made for doxology. He knew it and he would open up his heart and his voice. I don't know how well he sang. Maybe others around him would wish he would just keep a pen in his hand and write theology, but he didn't care. And he wanted to sing. And so my hope is that in the midst of these pockets, you'll hear God's voice, actual God's voice today through the, the scriptures as I proclaim them into that pocket and out of that will come stability and, and even a song in the midst of the moment. Okay? So Psalm 46 is our text. If you'll stand with me if you're able. And with holy and happy reverence to the author of Psalm 46 and the author of this amazing book, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Here now, Psalm 46, verses 1 and following. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a stream. There is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Oh, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So here's a little primer some of you have been thinking about that turbulent pocket, times of trouble, and right now there might be a little respite. It might be kind of placid or smooth and you're running along and, and, and life is going well and I'm very happy for you. Um, and your mind isn't kind of going right to that. 
I'm going to ask three questions and tease out a few possibilities just to prime the pump so that you are focused in on that pocket so that you hear afresh God's word for you in time of need. So how do we gain stability when the waves of life threaten to undo us? When we hit a terrifying diagnosis? When, when the constant emotional or physical pain won't cease? When the dark clouds of depression just continue to hover over us? How do we not lose it when the unthinkable happens? When the doctor says he didn't make it? When you find child porn on his laptop? When the drunk driver kills your 17-year-old driver? When you wake up to find a post-it note on the fridge stating, I'm sorry, I couldn't make it. You will never ever see me again. How do we step out in faith when the next step is unsettlingly unclear? When we must confront our dear friend living in sin and denial. When restarting homeschool, when last year, it just looks like a disaster. When we have to share an unpopular opinion. When we initiate sex with our spouse who is distracted and distant. When the business has to close its doors. When signing up mom for hospice care. In other words, what do we believe about God when the present circumstances seem far too large and confusing for our little resources, abilities, and our understanding. For those who feel like the four walls are inching closer and closer to you, like you're living in a very tight spot. Today, God is about to give you something. He's about to show you something. He's about to show you himself. Because that's the only solution in the midst of these turbulent pockets. Oh God, disclose yourself to me. I need more you. I don't need more principles and precepts and how-tos. I need you. Show up and show me yourself. That's what this psalm is about. And so the big idea, if you want to write it down, it might be on the the screen in the back. But in times of trouble, we need to see three things of God. He's going to show us 
metaphors, word pictures, and, and they're him. They're about him. It's a portrait of him. But pictures by the Holy Spirit who inspired this writing and by the Holy Spirit who's going to apply this writing accesses our imagination, emblazes our mental capacities so that we actually see the invisible. We actually sense the realities of the reality that we cannot see apart from written revelation and the Holy Spirit illumination. And so he's going to come and he's going to show himself to yourself in the midst of times of trouble. And so Psalm 46 is organized into three parts, three stanzas. The first one is found in verses 1 through 3. It's very clear. And we're going to see that God is our refuge and strength. And then he's going to shift. So these three stanzas are, are almost like three scenes. The first scene is outside Jerusalem, about 700 B.C., and then the second scene, verses 4 through 7, he manifests himself as he is our river of gladness. And now we're inside Jerusalem, inside the walls. And there's a lot going on outside the walls. And it doesn't look good. And yet there's this trickle that flows. And it's some form of gladness. And then the psalm concludes in verses 8 through 11 and kind of takes us outside the walls, outside of Jerusalem. And there's hills around Jerusalem. The mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people is another song. So we're going to go out onto the hills and we're going to look at the hills. There's going to be a sight that's, that's pretty gross out there. But there's a particular reason why we're going out to look at this. And we're going to see something about who God is. He is our triumphant God. So let's take a look at verses 1 through 3. In times of trouble, our God, our God, our, it's plural, our, it's personal, our, it's, I don't know, plentiful, if I can use another P word. There's a lot there, and it's our, our community, who he is. He is our refuge and strength. The term refuge. The term refuge, most of you would be familiar with that. Think fortress. Martin Luther loved that term. In his day, a fortress was was um, very relevant. Our day, not so much. But it's like a tower of safety. It's like this massive fort into which we flee and within which we have safety and protection. That's, that's the, 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 the imagery that he is projecting for all of us who are in the midst of troubling times. He is our safety. And so when the enemy shoots at us, when things are going against us, 
We don't view God as our last resort. We look to God as our first resort, as our only resort. And we see him as the, the refuge. We flee for rest. We flee for protection. And we find it in him. But notice also that he, he calls himself, he's our strength. Our strength. And here we see that, that, that protection is not designed by God to, to pamper his people. Obviously, we need rest. Obviously, we need protection. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 and following says there's the flaming missiles of the evil one that are, that are going to take us down. And so this is a battle in this world. Of course, we need protection. But what he does then is, is he cups his sovereign hands around us. And then inside there he says, and now I'm your strength. And so we well up with renewed interest. We're fortified deep in our soul. Our will says we will go forward. God is not merely our defense. <laughs> He's our offense. We then start moving forward in the midst of this protection. Piercing darkness. Moving and advancing the kingdom and the mission. The, the, the darkness down in our own families and our own flesh. The darkness that we find around our neighborhood and our immediate neighbors. The darkness that we put into and press into and pierce with the light of Jesus because we're united by faith to him in our city, Dayton, and in our state, Ohio, and yea, even to the uttermost parts of the world, according to the last few verses of Psalm 46. So we have offense. We don't go on a couch, but we go into a refuge because it's a battlefield. And then we gain strength in time of need and move forward collectively. That's an amazing vista and portrait of our great and glorious God who is our refuge and strength. Now that last little phrase in verse 1, that's kind of the doctrine of the Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. But this very present help is, is very interesting to, to do some studies on and to look at. It, it, it's, it's, why does he say very present? Why don't you say present? That would be awesome. And it's all over Psalm 46. But he says very. It's like he's, he's abundantly available. You're never put on hold. You never stand there and say, oh, I hope he sees me and says, yes, do you have a question? I, I mean, it's just instantly, abundantly available. There he is. Guys, he has over 200 billion galaxies in this universe. And they're not colliding unless he says collide. And he's got this all taken care of. And by his word, he sustains the whole universe. And then he knows the very hairs on your head. That a, in my life is subtracting quickly. <laughs> he knows them. He knows us, and he's abundantly available. Very present help. Oh, help, help. Boom, there he is. Always, never ceasing. Life is fragile. 
God is faithful. Make him your first and foremost in where to go in times of trouble. But he doesn't just stop there. So now we're outside Jerusalem and now we're going in and we're going into the walled city. A very impressive place if you've been there. And the reason why I'm seeing three scenes is because the historical um, backdrop or setting of Psalm 46 appears to be 2 Kings verses 18 and 19 and you can trickle on into to chapter 20. And it's, it seems to be Hezekiah. And it's right around 700 BC and the troops from Assyria are coming in. They've already sacked the, the northern area and they're moving down towards Jerusalem. And Sennacherib, the king, has, has, has brought his troops um, encircling the, uh, the city. And, and, and these troops, these soldiers, if, if you remember Al-Qaeda and those groups, and we'd see them on TV, and it, 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 was, it was designed to terrorize, to make you be extremely fearful. Well, the Assyrians were like a hundred times that. They were brutally inhumane as they would lead their captives off with this awful looking fish hook right through the nose or the lip and they would pull them along. And if they didn't go, they'd cut off their head or whatever and throw them away and just keep pulling them into Nineveh and Assyria and all that area. It's awful. It's brutal. And they're outside the wall and they're pressing in. And so now we're in the refuge. We're in the strength. Times of trouble. And now look what he gives. I'm not for sure where I'm at with this, so we'll try to keep going. Verses 4 through 7, that there's this river. There's this river whose streams make glad the city of God. And then he talks a little bit about that. The reason why I, I, I read Selah in my reading is because that's actually in the text. That's, that's in the Hebrew, that's in the text. And so that's inspired writing. And what it means is essentially pause. So we're meditating and pausing in these stanzas in, in uh, a certain uh, reason we'll get to at the end of the, of, the, of the message. So now we go to this stanza two and we see this stream. And if you look into chapter, I think, 20 of Second Kings, you'll see that Hezekiah mastermind um, and engineered a tunnel. A tunnel that, that collected water from outside the wall and, and uh, the spring of Gihon and then moved it underneath the wall, underneath the earth and into the city in the pool of Silo. And so the city had this resplendent water to refresh and strengthen. And the reason why he had to do that is because most ancient cities in this, in this time period are built around rivers. 
But Jerusalem is far from a river. And it's, it's somewhat desolate and arid. And enemies could camp around it and dehydrate the citizens. Because <laughs> they don't have any water. They, they, but this one piped it in. It could be in his mind that this river whose streams make glad the city of God is, is, is moving in that direction. But the poets of this day absolutely loved rivers. They loved rivers. So like um, Psalm 36 says that, that he makes us drink from the river of delight. It literally reads from Eden and the springs that, that give rise to life. A, 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 a green, plush, growing, flourishing garden effect this stream has. And he calls it gladness. And so I want you just to park your troubled heart on God's heart for a second here. And, and think with me about this is a battle. And we, we have surprise attacks. And we didn't ask for it. We didn't sign up for it. And here it is. All around or in or... And he's, he's a surety. He's a stability. And he's going to move us forward in this battle until all the battle is over. But in the midst of it, he gives us something else. Not just protection, but pleasure. And he gladdens the heart. He stimulates the affections. He nourishes the dehydrated. He, he gives and gives and gives in times of trouble. Not after or around or just right in the midst of that. That's what's happening historically here. That's what's happening metaphorically. That's what's happening here at Veritas as we listen to the word of God being proclaimed over our lives. Go to him. Be refreshed in him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. This joy is supernatural joy. It is not based on promising circumstances. On the contrary, this resource is unusual. It's mysterious. It's how can we be living the way we're living in the midst of this? Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither doesn't wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. That's what's happening here when Sennacherib and the army of about 300,000 are gathered around trying to suffocate us and kill us. So God, rich in mercy, abundant in everlasting kindness, is our refuge and strength. In the midst of troubled times, tight places, walls moving in, feeling claustrophobic, feeling like I can't do anything except scream, he provides protection, provision, pleasure. What a God. What an amazing God. And then, 
in the last scene, we step out of Jerusalem, out from the walls, and now we're on to the hills of Judah. And what do we see? Well, according to the historical account, we see 185,000 soldiers from Assyria dead, strewn over the hills. And these people who are dead were utter enemies of Yahweh and his people. They wanted to kill, maim, and obliterate God's people. That's what they wanted to do. And so Hezekiah cried out for help. And that night, I don't know if I'm reading this right, but I think I'm close. The, the angel of the Lord appeared in the night and everyone was sleeping. The Assyrians were sleeping. And he was very um, stealthful. And he just kind of cupped his hand over their mouth. That one died. And that one died. He didn't want to disrupt everyone. Just the 185,000 he's going to kill. And then he left. And then look at verse 5. That help comes in the morning. Oh, what a wonderful study for us. Look at the morning in the Bible where the big ball of flame called the sun is rising. And look around. What happened to Jacob? What, there, there's just so many places where, <gasps> because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It just starts surging in our hearts. That's just a little aside for those of you who like to sleep in until about 9 a.m. It's wonderful at 5.30. It really is. And you just hear the songbirds and you, you feel some heat and some glow and some light. Anyway, in verse 5, here's help in the morning. And according to 2 Kings 18.19, right around 20, in the morning, the people were called out. Now we're into the third stanza where it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. And so they... Come, and they go out, and now they see the carnage of the judgment and wrath of God on behalf of their salvation, delivering them from the evil one. God is our triumphant God. When he decides to move and scatter the enemies. That's exactly what's going to happen. No one can stand in the way of our warrior. And so as we look at this, we gain that hope. We gain that faith. We gain that joy. We gain the new tomorrows. Come on, baby. It's promising because he's there. He's with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Even in those pockets called times of trouble. And so as of an application, it was kind of hard for me. I mean, what's an application with Psalm 46 that soars to the heights of the ends of the earth and breaking the spears and shattering 
the swords and lighting chariots on fire and uh, just all kinds of stuff. So I just stuck with the, stuck with the text and in verse 8, it's an invitation. So there's a summon now as we close the message. There's a summon for each of us to, what's the word? Come. We're not to sit in a seat and listen. We're to come. We're to move even literally out to the edge of our seat and just kind of incline the ear and say, what Lord? Come. And then you do two things. You behold and you be still. You see those two words? You can circle them if you will. Might be helpful. Behold. What are we beholding? The works of the Lord. What are the works of the Lord? According to this history, according to this psalm here, it's, it's devastation. Why would I want to look at devastation? Because salvation springs out of judgment. Look at the cross of Christ. Salvation comes from judgment. And you don't want to be in judgment. You want to be placed in Christ and judged with him on the cross because he's going to pull you out of the grave and seat you in the heavenlies far above all this rules and authorities and powers of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where you want to be. By faith, run to him and hold on to him. So we behold this devastation. What in the world does that mean for us Christians here at Veritas? The gospel is salvation through judgment. And the judgment that we see first and foremost in the Bible is Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And we call him the seed of the woman a skull crusher. A skull crusher. It's going to hurt him, bruise him, but it's going to crush the seed of the serpent. And so when you look at Pharaoh, when you look at Sennacherib, when you look at King Herod, who just likes to brutalize humanity, you then begin to see who's behind all this. And Satan is crushed, devastated, and all those who partake in his movement of lies and deception and killing and stealing and maiming. And they're crushed in hell. And so here's the application. Behold the works of the Lord. Read. Meditate. Memorize. Stay in the Bible. Because this is the lens through which we look at all of life. Behold the works of the Lord. Do you see the hero of the story? Jesus the Christ, the Son of God who went to the cross. Pinned on the cross in order to defeat Satan. And rescue those trapped in his deception. So, so just scour. Behold the works. Look at God. Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep reading. Cry out. Open my eyes and I may behold wonderful things in your word. Don't neglect written revelation. and Behold the gospel. And then be still. Like what? In a hammock? I love hammocks, by the way. That'd, that'd be pretty cool. But that's not what he calls us to do. We're resting in Christ, who is our victorious warrior. But then be still. It literally means take your hands 
off. That's what it means. Relax. Take your hands off what? Trying to control the outcome of your troubling times. Look to the Lord. Cry out to Him. An application is pray. Meditate on the Word and pray. Obviously, there's a lot to be said with that. At advancing the kingdom and loving one another and doing good deeds and good works and all the things that are active. But those two right there are a twin piston in this passage. Behold, be still, and watch the victories of God found in Jesus Christ to overcome your enemies and bring you to paradise, namely to see his face forevermore. Let's pray. I love you, Father. I thank you for this moment. Sweet brothers and sisters, encircling your word, incited by your spirit, panting, maybe because we're hot in this room, but even more so, panting for the springs of life. Fill us to overflowing with you as we carry out your will in times of trouble. And all of God's people said, Amen.